welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join us every other week as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. I'm Ursa Acri, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kayla Fratt. Hey, guys. You can now support the podcast through Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Patrons can submit questions, which we'll answer at the end of each episode. This is especially cool when we have a guest on. You get to ask questions directly uh, to our guest through us. You can join the conversation over at patreon.com slash canine combos. Uh, before we get started today, we noticed that we had a bunch of new reviews, which is really awesome. We love positive yay! reinforcement. So we, <laughs> yay, we wanted to <laughs> highlight a couple of those reviews um, before we get into our episode. All right. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pick two, um, which is hard, but the first that we're going to read is from John USC Trojan that says, this is a great podcast. Kayla and Ursa are awesome. My eight month old Australian cattle dog agrees as well. They provide honest, but evidence-based information that helps me foster a better relationship with my dog. I typically refresh my podcast feed in anticipation for their next episode. Keep up the great work. Oh my gosh. That just makes me so happy. Ah, Um, We love you too. And your eight month old cattle dog. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, what, what fun. Um, And then the second review we'll read um, (laughs) is from Catton Holt. um, And this says, I consider myself a pretty attentive and experienced dog owner, but I've picked up so much great information from this podcast. The style is really engaging. And also one of my pet peeves is when podcasts have terrible audio quality, even with great content that can make them hard to listen to canine conversation sounds professionally produced thank you so much for saying that because audio quality is something that we are always (laughs) struggling with (laughs) and it is professionally produced by professional dog trainers (laughs) yeah (laughs) no and we have we do have some pretty amazing (laughs) editors um on our uh, on our team but they're uh yeah, yeah, it's it's always been a, a challenge with various internet issues and mic issues that seem to pop up every week. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great compliment. Thank you so much. We work really hard to make it listenable in in every way possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm like legitimately glowing right now. Wow, these reviews just make me very really happy. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you guys. So these keep us going. I mean, you know, again, positive reinforcement, it works. So um, if you like the podcast and you haven't yet gone to leave us a review, please, um, you can do so anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcasts, etc. cetera. Um, that really helps us reach uh, more listeners. So um, let people know what you like. Awesome. So what we're going to do today is we're going to, um, sort of deviate just a little bit and we're going to do a little bit of an update on our lives. Um, a lot of things have changed for both Kayla and myself in the last few months. And, um, we figured that we would provide our listeners with just a little bit of an update on, uh, what's going on, what's changed, what we're looking forward to. And then, um, because we don't expect to be doing that for an hour, uh, because we like you guys, um, we're going to finish out the episode with another round of some hot takes. So, um, this should be pretty fun. I think we're going to just dive right in. If you're ready to go, Kayla. I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you start us off? So tell us what uh, is going on in your life, what's changed recently, and what's coming down the road. Yeah, I mean, what hasn't changed, honestly? Um, 
<clears throat> so I parted right. ways with the, uh, yeah, um, I parted ways with the um, conservation detection dog organization that I had been working with um, back in November of 2020. So it's actually been a little while now. Um, Ursa and I are recording in early March. Um, and so I had a couple months there of kind of pseudo unemployment while I was raising Niffler. So I was really focusing on journey dog training and quite frankly, a lot of hiking and skiing, uh, raising Niffler. And um, that's that was the time that allowed me to start the Pandemic Puppy podcast, which was really exciting. Um, and then just a couple weeks ago, um, I started working at the Humane Society of Western Montana, and I am on the pet adoption and welfare team. So I'm not on the behavior team. I unfortunately put in my application, um, I think literally like a week after they hired two new people onto their behavior team. Um, so uh, I was a little <laughs> late there. But uh, so my job there is everything from like cleaning kennels and refreshing litter boxes to helping with intakes and adoptions, um, which I really, really enjoy. I've always enjoyed kind of getting to the people side of sheltering, um, which I know a lot of people, that's not why they get into sheltering, but I've always really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. um, it is a very small shelter mm -hmm. compared to Dumber, Dumb Friends League. Um, and they're really focused on a lot of amazing community work. You know, a week or so um, before I left, I'm actually currently in California for a previously scheduled um, uh, remote work session with my mom. Um, but they, they do like free community outreach and dog training um, for the houseless population in Missoula. We do a ton of community foster where um, people who are experiencing houselessness or um, fleeing domestic violence or anything like that can have their animals fostered for free. We do low cost spay, neuter, vaccine. Like it's a really, really cool shelter um, that does a lot for how small they are. Um, so I'm doing that on top of continuing all my freelance writing and running and hiking and all of that. Um, I do anticipate being at the shelter somewhat temporarily. And that is because I've also got a lot of other, um, I don't know what, uh, what the turn of phrase is that I want. Um, a lot of other uh, potential things coming down the pipeline. I have applications out to grad school. So there's a chance that if I get accepted to grad school and if funding shakes out well, I will be starting grad school in the fall. I've also put in my application for several different conservation detection dog contracts. So hopefully this summer, Barley and I are going to be working on wind farms somewhere in the Midwest to find um, bats that have been killed what? by wind turbines <laughs> yeah oh, i'm really excited God, for that so cool <laughs> that is so cool you know um yeah. what i love two things what uh wind turbines and bats <laughs> right and dogs yes. um, well yeah and dogs but that's a given but i also have like weird fascinations with wind turbines and with bats separately, not I together. You've managed to blend those two bats. things, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they, they are really dead cool. bats. Um, but yeah, it's part of their oh, like environmental impact um, work is to kind of count. And basically, we go out when the bats are migrating or um, most likely to be hit and kind of looking at different... Um, you know, factors that may affect their mortality. Um, although Barley and I are mostly just finding the bats. Um, 
And then the biggest news, as I said, I've got a lot of like potential things coming down the pipeline. And I feel like I'm at this point in my life where I'm not quite sure which direction I'm going next. Um, But I just started the process of buying a sprinter van that is fully set up for van life. It has like solar panels on the top. It's got a composting toilet that slides under the bed. (laughs) Um, It's like it's fully set up to live in. So I anticipate living out of that, at least while I'm doing field work and potentially just kind of, I, I, I'm expecting if I end up doing this kind of field work um, centric life for the next couple of years, I will have periods of time in between gigs and um, the Sprinter is going to allow me to uh, take full advantage of that time and not be paying rent somewhere that I'm not living anyway. Um, so it's all really, nice. really exciting. And awesome. as I said, I feel like I could go a couple <laughs> different directions over the next year, but we'll, we'll see. I love that though. Like I love being in a place in life where you're like, I have all of these really cool choices and the hardest part is choosing between them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about all of it. Also, you lived out of like your Kia for eight months or something, right? So a a sprinter van is going to feel like luxury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, like one of my biggest goals um, with Barley is to finish the Pan American Highway with him. If I feel like I can do that in a way that is safe and comfortable for him, I'm not going to make him drive to Argentina when he's 15. Um, he's currently seven and a half. So I'm hoping that um, as as COVID allows, I will be able to use the Sprinter van to finish the Pan American Highway and kind of go back to that fully uh, remote digital nomad life for at least a little while. Sweet. And now in total style with your sprinter I van. Know. That's awesome. I know. And my solar <laughs> panels. I'm like so excited to be, have solar panels. I uh, like, yeah. And it's got like an awning that I can pull out so that I can, I can cook um, out my front door or set up like a lawn chair on my, my porch, wherever my, my house is parked. Um, it, it, yeah. I'm very excited <laughs> for it. <laughs> It has color-changing lights, like mood lights installed. (laughs) (laughs) They're very fun. Niffler Niffler has no idea what is coming. Like, he's going to have the coolest adventure dog life. (laughs) Yeah, he does not know what he signed up for. I mean, we used to say that all the time about Barley as we're, like, navigating him across the, like, Guatemala, Honduras. No, that's not a border. Yeah, Guatemala, Honduras border. <laughs> um, I was like, hang on. Is that the direction they go? Yeah, 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 we went that way. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's like getting poked and prodded by these uh, agriculture import officials and stuff. And it's just like, I don't know if this is what anyone would have expected when he showed up at the shelter. <laughs> right? I know. That's so cool, though. Like, I mean, it's amazing to think that, um, you know, a dog that was relinquished to the shelter. For, you know, I can only assume probably behavioral reasons because that's why most dogs were relinquished. Um, And, you know, I say that with love. Barley's a wonderful dog, but like as a puppy, he probably (laughs) did normal puppy stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's definitely not easy. And like even easy puppies are hard. Like there's no there's no way around it. So, um, you know, and, and to think that like 
he was relinquished to the shelter and then turned around and got to live this ridiculously amazing life where he like did this eight month long road trip with you and into Central America and he gets to work in the field doing conservation work and like it's just it's so cool to think about his story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm actually still in intermittent contact with his old owner and get to keep him updated on everything that Barley's up to. And it's, it's a lot of, um, I'm sure it's bittersweet for him, but it's really fun for both of us, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. So I want to go back and ask you a couple questions um, about your, you know, sort of upcoming potential plans. What, what do you think you'll study in grad school? Yeah, so I've applied to two different programs, one at Texas Tech and one at Virginia Tech, and they're both in the animal sciences department, and they both specifically have programs that focus on detection dogs. Um, so the Texas Tech program would be under Dr. Dr. Nathan Hall, um, who I actually, he just had an article published with one of his PhD students, like hot off the presses eight days ago called training with varying odor concentrations implications for odor detection thresholds in canines so like that's the sort of stuff that he is working on he does a lot of really cool like that climate like controlled chamber read. studies <laughs> yeah yeah i know <laughs> i'm like drooling over it <laughs> um <laughs> And, and to be 100% honest, I'm a little apprehensive about Texas Tech because it's in Lubbock, Texas, which is kind of up in the Oklahoma, Texas panhandle. Um, and I'm just not entirely sure mm -hmm. if I'm ready to leave Montana to move there. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting to see what offer I may or may not get from them. Um, and then the, mm. my, my top choice school is with Virginia Tech, and that would be under Dr. Erica Feuerbacher. Um, and she does a lot of really, really cool work with her lab. Um, she pre presented at the 2020 Lemonade Conference um, talking about a research study that they had worked on trying to figure out a way to screen shelter dogs for separation anxiety by letting them bond with a person for a set amount of time and then leaving the dog alone and separating them from that person. Mm. Um and seeing how quickly the dog was able to settle after um, that absence. And they actually had really cool results that um, seemed really promising. I am not going to go into the specifics because I don't have them in front of me. Um, yeah. But she also has worked with um, conservation detection dogs and agriculture detection dogs. Um, so that is definitely my top choice, although I have kind of gotten word from them that um, funding is really tenuous. So uh, what I'm almost hoping at this point ends up happening is that I just get to do conservation dog stuff and van life for like three or four years. And then I'll just go to grad school when they have funding for me. Um, <laughs> oh, so yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, like, at this point, I'm like there, almost right? hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, although again, it's if awesome. either one of them gives me a really good, um, a really good offer. Um, and basically what had happened is as soon as working dogs, uh, for conservation and I parted ways, I had to take the GRE and throw together my applications really, really quickly. It was super stressful, um, for a couple weeks because I, yeah. working dogs and I parted ways in mid November and the applications were due in mid December. So I had, um, a very fast turnaround for all of these applications. And if it doesn't turn out that it's going to work for fall 2021, that was never really plan A anyway. It was kind of a, a panicked, like, oh my gosh, I'm unemployed sort of <laughs> pivot. Right. Right. 
Understandable. Well, that's cool. I'm super excited. I know, like, whatever happens, it's going to be amazing, and the pictures are going to be awesome, so. Yeah, yeah, so check us out on Instagram, now that we're going to be van-lifing, too. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I can't wait. Cool. Well, yeah. that's a lot. A lot of changes. It sure is, and I know you've had... Uh, just as many changes, I think it's probably fair to say. <laughs> so why don't you, why don't you tell us what's going yeah, on mean, with you? Yeah, so for sure, it's been, it's been a big year. So, um, <clears throat> I've had, you know, I've, I've got some, some sad news and some good news. Uh, the sad news is Cadence Major has closed. Um, my business partner and I made the decision to close our business, uh, in January and um, it was the result of sort of a domino effect of things all stemming from COVID, basically. We were a COVID casualty. Um, you know, we started out, uh, it would be, gosh, five years ago this April, five years ago, April 2021, um, we opened our business and we started out doing just in-home training. And we always had this goal to expand into a physical location. And we made that happen. We just expanded really big, really fast. Um, mm -hmm. And <laughs> while it was really stressful, we, I feel like we pulled it off. And right before COVID hit, we were about a year, just over a year into our expansion and we were just starting to sort of make ends meet and get things running smoothly, relatively smoothly, and um, and kind of st stabilize the business. And then we had that two month shutdown, and it just hit us mm -hmm. at such a vulnerable time in our expansion that we were never really able to bounce back. Um, so back in August, we had to leave the building that we were renting. Um, it was too expensive for us to continue renting and the services that we were offering that kind of kept, kept the lights on and paid the bills were not coming back, you know, because people were staying home. So they weren't boarding their dogs. They weren't sending them to daycare. We weren't doing group classes because of COVID. Um, so all of those services that are easily scalable to sort of keep the lights on, um, just were not recovering fast enough for us to, to keep up. So we left the building and then just could never quite get back on our feet after that. And so we made the decision to formally close the business back in January, which was really sad. <laughs> I, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It was, it was a bummer. And yeah. more so that, um, yeah, just, I feel like we, we put, you know, a lot of time and energy and resources and our, our heart and soul into, building something that we were really, really proud of. Um, you know, I think that we had just a phenomenally loyal client base and people and dogs that we loved and who loved us. And I think we built something really awesome. And, you know, to have to say like, well, it didn't work out, um, was really a bummer, but I mean, I, I can say one, one thing about myself that I'm really proud of is that a, I'm, I'm never afraid to fail. So like, you know, <laughs> dream big, fail big. Right. And then, um, you yeah. know, I tend to learn, learn from something and kind of pick up and move on. So, um, I was really prepared to, um, just sort of continue training on my own. Um, Kimberly, my business partner and my best friend has taken a job outside of the training field just for, for a little bit of financial stability for a while. Um, but I, 
always joke that dog training is my only marketable skill and that's what I'm going to be doing until I die. So, um, <laughs> I had, right. I had, um, planned to continue as a sole proprietor when I got a call from a local veterinary behaviorist who I think had heard that I was a free agent dog trainer and asked if I was interested in joining their team. So, um, it turns out I was interested in joining their team and starting at the end of March, I will be a behavior consultant for Behavior Vets of Colorado, which is under Dr. Um, Elise Christensen. She's a veterinary behaviorist in the area. And I'm really excited um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing team. They're doing really cool things. Um, there's a branch here in Colorado and then a branch in New York City. and um, you know, they're just really on the cutting edge of behavior and behavior outreach. Um, I know a couple of the trainers that I'll be working with. I've known them for several years and they're just fantastic mm -hmm. people. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of a team and, and something kind of bigger than myself. And then the other facet of that that's really exciting for me is being able to do what I really love, which is work with people and dogs and not have to worry about the business side of things for, oh, that <laughs> sounds know, so the, nice the for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I know because one of the things that I learned as a business owner is that when you're a business owner, that is your first job, especially when you have people working for you and with you. And, um, it really took a lot of time away from me being able to do the things that are the reason why I became a dog trainer, which is working with people and dogs. And so, you know, I'm not going to have to worry about, um, marketing or building a website or social media or <laughs> HR or occupational tax or you name it. Like I'm, I'm yeah. eager and excited to hand those responsibilities off to someone and just be able to, to train dogs and hopefully get better and better at it. Um, so yeah, and then the other sort of weight off my shoulders is is no longer having a direct line between doing all of those things and actually making a living, uh, like a direct unbroken line. <laughs> so right, yeah, um, you're actually going to be salaried with them. Or yeah, hourly. yeah, which is super exciting. <laughs> salaried, yeah, yeah. salaried position. Nice, which, yeah. As a free agent dog trainer, is just about as good a gig as you can ask for, um, <laughs> honestly. You know, mm -hmm. I think there that really aren't many of them. It's I think we've talked about this with like one of the I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> one of the hardest things about this field is that n probably 90% of us, you know, we get into it to train dogs and then we end up having to be business owners and marketers and bookkeepers and uh, like I mean, that's yeah. one of the things I've always really loved about shelter work as well, is I just get to show up and work with animals. I don't have to worry about like right. fundraising or website updates or whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I was going to say the exact same thing is I think that, you know, <clears throat> when you become a dog trainer, you think like, oh, I'm just going to hang out a shingle that says I'm a dog trainer. And then I just get to train dogs for a living. And, um, it's so much more than that if you're working for yourself, and it's, it's hard, it's hard work. And especially if that's not what, I mean, uh, you know, I feel like 
I learned to be good at some of those things. Fortunately, I had a business mm-hmm. partner who I feel like her skills and strengths complemented mine. And we sort of worked really well together in that way. But like, if you're, especially if you're doing it on your own, it's all you, unless you're hiring people to do it for you, which by the way, I strongly recommend hiring people to do that stuff for you if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of people don't think about, um, that they're going to have to wear all of those hats in addition to dog trainer. And then I feel like the next logical step from there is like, Oh, well I'll hire somebody to do the training uh, alongside me. So like I can, you know, send them clients as well, but that comes with a whole other host of things to think about. Like, mm-hmm. are you going to hire employees or contractors? And then you have to have payroll and then you have to, you know, like it's a lot, it's a, it's a quagmire of things that you get sort of bogged down in when you're a business owner and it, takes time away from being able to do, you know, what you love. And so I'm super excited, um, for this opportunity. I feel really, really lucky. And, um, yeah. Well, and what a cool opportunity to get to work so closely with those vet behaviorists and like, you're going to get to learn so much. (laughs) Like I'm so excited to hear about, (laughs) um, hear about it as you get started. Um, because you're just, I mean, you're going to get to see some really, cool cases and get to be deeply involved in and I think a lot like the intricacies of the veterinary side you know obviously you're not on the veterinary side of the business but I mean and correct me if you're mm-hmm. wrong uh, I mean you're or if I'm wrong in your understand my understanding of what your job is going to be but like just getting to work through these uh, treatment plans um, that are kind of coming down from or in conjunction with a vet behaviorist, um, which is just like a level of uh, working with a vet behaviorist that I don't think many of us get to have. Um, even if you are sending a lot of clients yeah. over to vet behaviorists. Yeah, I've collaborated a lot with the two VBs in the area um, in the past where we've shared clients. So usually how that happens is I'll get a case that comes along where um it's not a straightforward behavior modification case. Usually if there's either um, a a potential or an obvious medically complicating factor, or there's something idiosyncratic about the case, like "Eh, there's a piece that just doesn't really fit in. Um, Or if it's a really difficult case where we're not making progress with like the usual treatment, that's when I'll send, um, that's when I'll refer someone to a veterinary behaviorist. And usually the way that looks is they'll go see the VB. The VB will sort of come up with a treatment plan that they send along with the client to come back to me to implement. And a lot of my work will be, um, really similar to what I've been doing. So, you know, their clinic, the clinic gets a lot of straightforward, um, just behavior cases. So, you know, my dog is least reactive. My dog has handling sensitivities, whatever. And so those I'll be sort of taking on and working with as normal, but then I'll have, you know, direct access to work alongside the VB, um, when we have cases that are, you know, that need their, their consultation as well. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely have a level of, you know, being able to work with them that I I haven't before, which is extremely exciting. So I, I expect to learn a lot and hopefully grow a lot as a trainer and, um, you know, just have opportunities to see and do things that I haven't in the past, which I think is what most of us want as trainers, right? It's just to keep learning Mm -hmm. and getting better. So, um, I'm really, really happy to have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, 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 it should be. And should aren't be awesome. you going through a move as well? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sort of non-dog related. Um, yeah, my <laughs> husband and our son 
and I are finally moving out of our apartment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and we're moving. I know we're moving into a house with a yard, which I'm so excited about. Oh my gosh. I, um, I was actually just talking to a friend yesterday and I was like, one of zip, my border collie has actually never lived in a place with a fenced in yard with me. Um, which is hilarious because yeah, she was surrendered to the shelter. She was surrendered to the dumb friends league three times when I worked there by three separate uh, families for escaping their fenced in backyard. And at the time (laughs) that I, um, worked there, I was the caretaker for this huge horse farm, um, outside of Denver. And I was like, well, I don't have a fenced in backyard. There's nothing for her to escape. So I'm going to take her home with me. And then we (laughs) lived on a farm. My husband and I lived on our own farm for a while in Kansas. Um, when I worked with Hills and then when we moved back here, we moved into an apartment that was just the most practical thing for us at the time. And so Mm -hmm. my dogs have, it's been a long time for Nico, probably over a decade. And then for zip, I don't think she's ever lived in a fenced in, or had a fenced in backyard. Wow. So I'm super yeah. excited. And I also feel like now she's too old and lazy to try to escape. I know. No, I also think like she is so bonded with us and so needy. I yeah. really feel like probably what happened is her people left her in the yard alone and she freaked out and was like, I have to find them. So She's mm-hmm. never really shown any inclination of, of wanting to run away. She's always like, I actually want to live inside your mouth. So <laughs> I, think, oh. I think we're safe, but I am yeah. really excited about being able to tell my six-year-old son to go play outside. That's the thing that I'm most excited about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's so exciting. Um, yeah. Oh, so kind of well, the yeah, opposite congrats. of van life, but well thank you it's funny because i have been spending so much time on zillow as well and like daydreaming about buying a house in missoula um and i would be talking to friends about you know like van life and then you know an hour later i'd be like and then i found this really cool house on zillow and they would be like kayla are you doing van life or a house and i'm like i don't really care (laughs) i just want like a thing that i live in that's mine um and, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't know. Yeah. And, and to me, they actually feel very similar. Um, it's just not renting it's on someone else's property. Yeah. Yeah, it's a home. One thing that I always struggle with is just that I wish I had multiple lifetimes to do all of these different things. So in my next life, I'm going to live in an Airstream somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then maybe I'll do a van life for one of them. And then <laughs> maybe I'll go live think on a boat in one life. Like- all the time. Um yeah, one of the things that I, I had always wanted to do when I was a, a kid was to to be a translator. Um, and I've always like loved languages. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually thought about going to Middlebury college for, for linguistics instead of Colorado college for ecology. And like, I just, I love thinking about like, yeah, what would my, my life be like if I had like really doubled down on like this passion or that passion instead? I, um, was planning to study astrophysics before I became a dog trainer. <laughs> oh, damn, no way. I did not know that about you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, um, and, and I mean, I love science. And so I had toyed with the idea of studying biology, but really like I have this passion for 
um, like math and, and physics. And so that was sort of what I um, wanted to study before I accidentally became a dog trainer and I don't regret <laughs> it at all. I love what I do, but um, yeah, I, I think about that too. Like what would, what would have been different? Maybe I would have helped like yeah. the Mars River land. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But you know, yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't, I have no regrets. So, yeah, but it would be, that, I mean, hopefully the Buddhists are right and we do get multiple shots at it because I would, I'd love to come back and try again. Yeah. Just like, yeah, there's just not enough time so. even for, we, like, I feel like we both have lived very full lives so far and we still have a lot of life ahead of us. We're getting very esoteric here. Oh, but. Gosh, um, I know. We're getting kind of deep. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, why don't we... <laughs> uh, would you say I'm sorry? Oh, I was just like, I feel like whenever I'm going through kind of big life changes, like I think we both are right now, I do spend a lot of time thinking about these things. So it's like somewhat on topic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> awesome. well, well, shall we do are some you, hot takes? Uh, are you ready to do? Yeah, let's do some hot takes. Um, so I'm going to um, start us off. I'll randomly pick one for you to start with. Um, okay. And I think we're doing three minutes. Yeah, three minutes. So with hot takes, what we do is we've compiled a list of controversial or semi-controversial um, topics in the training and behavior field. And we'll randomly... Um, pick one and then uh, one of us has three minutes to give our thoughts on the topic. And then the other person has a one minute rebuttal. I feel like so far there hasn't been a lot of debate between the two of us. Um, I think we mostly agree on most of these topics, which um, is why I love you, Kayla, but also probably makes for a really boring hot takes. So I'm sorry. <laughs> People really seem to like them. I think, uh, yeah, uh, it would be fun to try to find a couple things that we disagree on. Um, but yeah, maybe we're just a two-woman two echo chamber. Yeah, I, maybe we'll find one today. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe today's All the day. Right. Uh, also, why don't let's plug our Patreon again. Go ahead and join Patreon and submit oh, yeah. some hot takes that you think we might disagree on. That's a good one. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think yeah. you can come up with that Kayla and I will just not not have the same opinion about? I, I yeah. Maybe we'll send you a T-shirt if you get it. Uh, or I a feel like we'd have to go off topic. Off topic for dogs, like you know, attract. Well, who's the most attractive celebrity or something like that? Like we'd have to. <laughs> I feel like it wouldn't have to be in the dog world or like what's the what's the best you know i don't even know whatever <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see but I, I i'm also i'm offered I'm, I'm ready to offer up like a journey dog training sticker or a t-shirt or something to whoever gets it so join patreon and i will spend more money than you're spending on patreon to send you a t-shirt if you find the hot take that ursa and i disagree on Yes. Yes. I love it. I will even throw in like a vintage Canis major item. We're calling them vintage now because the business is closed. So <laughs> I love my, I have a vintage Canis major t-shirt that I wear all the time and it confuses the heck out of people because I have so many different dog training shirts from so many different businesses and I only work for one of them. 
I love it. I have a collection of clickers from all of the places that I've worked. So I have like a feeder supply, which is the very first place I trained dogs. It's a pet store in Louisville, a a Kentucky Humane Society, a Dumb Friends League, a Hills Pet Nutrition, and a Canis Major. I have clickers from all of those places. I actually kind of love that. That's, you know, I'm not a collector of things. Yeah, generally, I don't tend to collect things. Um, I, I prefer like a minimalist approach to, to things in my life, but I'm, I'm pretty stoked about my personalized clicker collection. So <laughs> it's one of the nerdier things about me for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Are you ready for your first hot topic? I am ready. Okay, this is a doozy. Praise-based training. Ah, I knew it was going to be this one. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't buy it. Um, okay, so uh, using praise as a reinforcer for your dogs, sure. Absolutely. I think plenty of dogs find that reinforcing enough, especially for like maintaining a behavior that your dog already knows. However, I think that trying to stick to praise only training, especially for teaching new behaviors, especially for trying to create really reliable behaviors. So things that you really need, like a leave it or a recall, um, is frankly quite foolhardy. And I understand that some people may be able to get away with it, but the amount of relationship building that needs to go into that and uh, the personality match between the human and the dog seems like such a high bar that trying to convince clients to meet it is unfair. Um, I I think it sets clients up for failure. Um, Again, I think like I use praise as a way to communicate with my dogs all the time, but I certainly don't use praise as a way to teach them new behaviors or to reinforce behaviors that I really, really care about, um, especially not as my sole um, reward. So I honestly think that's about all I've got to say about it. <laughs> all right. So, I don't think that was your full three minutes, but you it was save not, that it was time a minute and a half. Away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, all right. So I, I would generally agree with you. I think that my main, I have a couple of issues with praise based training. And the first is that I think that a lot of the time it's framed in a way that suggests that you can only use praise in training. And I think that is really limiting. So I don't have any problem with using praise as reinforcement, but as always, we have to keep in mind does the dog actually find it reinforcing? So there are a couple of factors that I think play into using praise effectively in training. One is, does the dog find it reinforcing? If they don't, then it's not reinforcing. If you have a dog that doesn't care about praise or maybe even finds it aversive, it's not going to have the effect that you intend. The next is, mm-hmm. um, you know, can it be delivered discreetly and in a in a way that where the timing actually you know, presents a a contingency for the dog. So this behavior earned you this praise. And I find that a lot of the time, especially when working with clients, it can be really hard to um, get them to use praise discreetly. And I mean, discreet as in sort of a a clear unit, not discreet as in like secretive. Um, So are they using praise in a way where it's clear to the dog that there's a contingency present? 
um, this behavior earned you this praise and then the praise happens and then the praise stops and then we move on to the next repetition or whatever. And so I think that it can be really difficult to get that right when you are not a trainer. Um, you know, I think it's really difficult for clients to get it right and be able to do it effectively, um, to, to really build a behavior. I have no problem with clients praising their dogs. I have no problem with people using praise as reinforcement, but I think the, the framework of praise-based training kind of suggests that that's all you should be using or that's all you need to use. And I don't agree with that. I think that food is a really powerful tool. Um, I think that toys and play are really powerful tools and all of those things should be leveraged to both build a relationship with your dog and to strengthen the behaviors that you want. So for me, it's, it's not so much praise itself or using praise and training, but it's the idea that I think has been sort of, um, I guess what the idea of praise-based training has turned into, that's all you need in training. And I, and I definitely disagree with that. I might have gone over my minute. I can't see your timer. I'm sorry. You did. I, I let you. Uh, I let you just take my okay. minute and a half. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Any other final thoughts to add on praise-based training? No. I mean, I think I think the the needle that we're both threading to some degree here is that like, yes, praise your dog. Go for it. Um, if your dog finds that reinforcing, use it. Um, but don't shame people for using other reinforcers because other reinforcers are in most cases going to be more effective. Uh, does that sound like a decent little summary? Yeah. And I mean, I think it depends on the dog and the other thing, and I know here we go, here we go. We're going over our time. <laughs> the other thing that I, that I have a distaste for is I feel like praise-based training concepts are closely tied to the idea that dogs should just be working for our approval. And I really don't mm -hmm. like that. I really don't like that because dogs are living organisms. Reinforcement drives behavior, right? That's a, a law, um, a scientific law. Reinforcement drives behavior. And so I think that we've turned this into this romanticized idea that telling my dog that I love him and he did a good job is all the reinforcement that he's going to need. And it's just not true. It's just, it's not true. Dogs are living organisms and they are going to, you know, behave in a way that gets them the things that they want and need. And that's not just praise from their people. So I, I think if I really, the, the real root of it is just the idea that, you know, praise-based training is, is kind of taking that concept that your dog should just work for your pat on the head and taking it sort of to the nth degree. And I just think that's more harmful than helpful. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good place to go with that. Okay. All right. Are we, are we ready for our next topic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So my hot, uh, hot take is head collars, ooh. which, um, yeah, ooh. <laughs> you wouldn't think is controversial and you'll have to give me like a 30 second warning because I can't see your timer, but, um, yes. So I, um, I don't have really any problem with head colors provided that they are used properly. Um, I actually started out with a trainer um, when I, when I very first started training, 
um, the woman that I learned from was a crossover trainer. And in lieu of using pinch collars or um, choke chains, she had really leaned heavily on head collars to give her clients some sense of control. And when I first learned how to use a head collar, it was a very negative reinforcement-based technique where if the dog messed with the head collar, you would kind of put some pressure on the leash um, to tighten the head collar until they stopped messing with it and then release the pressure. So very similar to what, um, you know, a lot of the training that's done with horses. I have long Mm -hmm. since given up that method. Um, I don't, you know, I don't feel that that's the best way to do that. Obviously, now I spend a lot of time desensitizing a dog to wearing a head collar so that they feel comfortable in it. Um, excuse me, but I think head colors can be a really helpful tool, especially for, um, dog person relationships where there is a big disparity in either size or control. So, you know, tidy Mm -hmm. person who has a great Dane or person with maybe some, you know, instability or, or problems with strength that have a, um, a really rambunctious dog. I think they can be really helpful. One thing that I really, it really gets under my skin is when, (laughs) when we're talking about aversive tools and someone brings up like, well, a head collar can be aversive too. Um, but I think that head collars are designed or should be used in a way that is not aversive. A dog should be desensitized to wear one the same way they sh- they would wear a harness or um, you know a, a regular collar or whatever. They should not be. They are not designed to be used to cause pain or discomfort the way that a pinch or a choke collar is designed to be used to cause an aversive sensation. So I think that it's really important to say if we're using it properly is it supposed to be causing discomfort? And the answer for a pinch collar is yes, that's how it works. And the answer for a head collar is no, it should not be uncomfortable. Um, the dogs should be comfortable wearing it. It shouldn't rub on their nose. It shouldn't be so tight that they can't open their mouth. Um, and I also think you have to have really good leash handling skills to use one well, because you have control of your dog, mm-hmm. dog's head. And that's a whole lot of power and responsibility to ensure that they they stay safe and they're not given a chance to you know, have too much slack and, and really yank on their neck too hard. Um, I don't love them for all dogs. I don't love them for all clients simply because they do take a lot of, um, of legwork in the beginning to get, to get to a point where you can use them effectively. But I think that in certain situations, they can be great. They can be really, um, useful for, you know, those specific scenarios that I talked about where you need a little bit more control and a, a harness or a regular collar just isn't getting the job done. All right. That's time. Great. Well done. Um, Okay. I think you said pretty much everything I have to say about head collars and I am going to like, I'll I'll start by saying I actually, honestly, this is kind of crazy. I have more experience with shot collars than I do with head collars, um, which is not Mm -hmm. much, but um, I have not really, uh, the only time I have personally used a head collar um, is with the very first foster dog that I had who was really, really leash reactive. Um, and I think a lot of clients, myself included, back when I was fostering Naomi, really struggle with teaching a dog to wear a head collar comfortably. Um, that desensitization process and getting the dog to wear it comfortably is is hard. Um, I know I really struggled with it. And I think, as you said, it is a lot of responsibility. I know there were a couple times where I, like, my instincts got away from me. And as I was trying to reel Naomi in from a reactive episode... I yanked on her head and neck harder than I think one should. 
um, because you mm. forget that you're not using a back clip harness, or I did. Um, and I think that is, b both of those things are quite risky. I agree, though, that I think there are cases where, um, yeah, like an elderly person or someone with poor dexterity or poor balance or just a really big dog. Um, I've had clients who use them, um, but I haven't personally recommended them or suggested them as part of my treatment plan very often. Um, they're just not a tool that I find myself reaching for. Um, so I'm pretty lukewarm about them. I, again, I've got, I think there's actually a video um, somewhere on my YouTube channel of working with a reactive dog who's wearing one, but that was how they walked the dog and trained the dog prior to me starting. It was super helpful for that dog, but I just don't bring them into my treatment plan really hardly at all. I, I guess there are other tools I'm more comfortable with um, that get the same, yeah. the same effect. So, and that's my time. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I use them not often, but like, you know, with, with some regularity, maybe like one out of every 10 dogs that I work with, I'll have e either is already on a, a head collar or I will suggest a head collar, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit less than that. It's not super common, but, um, it's a tool I'm super comfortable with. I just don't, there aren't a, a lot of times where I feel like the benefits outweigh that lengthy process of getting the dog comfortable with it. Lengthy for most clients. Yeah. Um, I feel like a good trainer can probably teach a dog to be comfortable with that color pretty quickly, but I find that most of my clients, it, it takes a little more time because they're doing life and they're not professional dog trainers. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I guess I should uh, clarify that when I say I'm not comfortable with it, it's not like, I'm uncomfortable with it because the tool makes me nervous. It's just that like, I don't have all that much practice with it. Kind of like, like I'm not all that uh, adept at using a squeeze tube as a way to reward a dog with soft food. Mm. So it's more like clumsiness on my mm -hmm. part when I say that I'm uncomfortable with it than like, because uh, I probably also have said things on this podcast, like I'm uncomfortable with vibration collars. And that's more of like, I'm <laughs> discomforted by the usage of them. So now we're, now we're just mincing words and we should probably go on to our next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how about our next one? Vibration colors. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, sure. Okay. I'm starting my timer. Um, okay. Vibration colors. Um, so I am going to uh, start out by saying I think most of the time when people are using vibration collars, they're using them in uh, in the hopes that it is something less aversive or less extreme than a shock collar. Um, so they kind of fall mm -hmm. under that e-collar category. Um, and, you know, you're still using it as a way to interrupt your dog from a behavior that you don't like or punish your dog for a behavior that again, you don't like. So in either case, it's punishment, which means that it's at least annoying, <laughs> um, if not downright right. painful or frightening. Um, and I don't think, I know there, there are some anecdotes out there that some dogs seem to find vibration collars actually more aversive than shock collars. I'm sure that depends on the dog and depends on the intensity. Um, but the point is, we can't necessarily know that like, oh, because you're using a vibration collar, this is less intense and less scary for your dog than a shock collar. So, um, you know, all of that to say, I'm generally not in favor. <laughs> um, generally, I'm pretty mm -hmm. against any, um, any collars or really any training tools that are used to train your dog using pain or a startle response or um, fear or anything like that. 
And then the pivot that I will make specifically with vibration collars is I have seen some beautiful training of deaf dogs or um, even hearing dogs, but using the vibration collar as a cue or even potentially a marker for a dog. Um, So when taught properly under a really careful training plan, I actually think vibration collars can be a very, very cool tool. Um, I have considered using a vibration collar with barley as a way to, as a recall cue, as a way to help him recall when he cannot hear me. We have instead, um, I now just carry a whistle when we're out um, hiking a lot, but I've had a couple experiences where he is um, running along the ocean in Costa Rica and with the waves and the wind, he cannot hear me even though um, mm-hmm. I thought he was at a distance where I was comfortable with him being that far away from me. So I hadn't called him yet. And then I called him and realized he just couldn't hear me. So I have considered them. And again, I've seen some really, really cool, beautiful training done with vibration collars, but that is them being really carefully conditioned as part of a training plan to not be a painful or scary or startling stimulus. It's really carefully taught as a cue. Um, so the <laughs> this is a weird thing that I'm about to say. I'm uh, the the tool itself is not as something I'm as concerned about, although I think in most cases it's used in a way I don't like. So and that's my three minutes. And I mean, I would agree with pretty much every word of that, and couldn't probably couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I think you know one thing that's important to note is that. Um, I think that when we talk about vibration colors and e-colors, there are a lot of disingenuous conversations out there about these tools. And I think that there are a lot of people that want to convince themselves that, oh, it's the dog doesn't mind the sensation or it's a tap or it's this or that's that or whatever. And I think it's important to note that like shock is painful. It's painful to the nervous system. Um, a vibration it really depends on the individual. For some people or dogs, it might be really uncomfortable and and almost feel painful. And for some people and dogs, it might be just irritating. And I mean, there are also like massage chairs that use vibrations that people willingly sit in for hours. So, I mean, there's um, a very pleasurable thing called a vibrator. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> right. So Didn't expect to go there today, but... <laughs> No, we sure didn't. Here, <laughs> this is a family podcast. No, um, right. So, point being, shock as a sensation is generally an unpleasant one, and and you know we can observe its effects on our nervous system in that way. Um, the sensation of vibration, obviously not, obviously very um, uncomfortable for some people, and obviously very pleasurable for other people. And so I agree completely. I think it has a, everything to do with how does the dog feel about it. So I love its application for use as a as either a cue or a marker with deaf dogs, provided that it is conditioned so that it's not um, scary or uncomfortable for the dog. And I think that if you ha- if you're working with a dog that you want to use a vibration collar with, and you start teaching the dog what the sensation means, and they're really averse to it, I feel like you might as well just go with something else. Because why start with something that the dog already doesn't like, and try to turn it into something the dog likes? as opposed to just finding something, some other stimulus that doesn't bother the dog as much. So, um, so yeah, your time. I, I, I agree with, with everything. 
Awesome. All right. All right. Should we wrap it up there or try to squeeze in one more? Um, I think we can wrap it here. I think we'll, yeah. we'll end on the vibrator note. Why not? <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, how are we going to top that? We still have plenty of topics left for like almost probably another full episode of hot takes. And I think so. I'm I think pretty easily eagerly wait for a hot topic that someone can find where you and I will disagree. I really, I really want that. Yeah. One. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so. I actually, I wonder if uh, we've got a couple like our rescuing meat and street dogs. And uh, I think if we started getting into some kind of like, specific policy discussions, we might be able to have some nuanced disagreements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Oh. It might be hard because I well, think we we'll respect see. each right. other's opinions so much that it's hard to get us to like wholeheartedly disagree with each other. <laughs> yeah, well, and even, I mean, I just feel like we have a really similar worldview too. Like mm-hmm. sort of a pragmatic, but pragmatic, but compassionate worldview. And I feel like, you know, we, we're coming from the same place in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So I would say so. Cool. Well, that was super fun. Anything else you want to add or throw out there? Uh... No, no. I mean, literally, the only thing I'm thinking about is how handsome my puppy is, um, who's asleep oh right gosh. next to my computer. Um, so he's so handsome. The only yeah. reason I go on Facebook anymore is to see his photo of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I've been a little neglectful lately. It's kind of a photo every third day lately. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I've been letting, noticed, I've been letting his fans down. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, today, um, so today is March 10th, which is Barley's Gotcha Day. It's his four year anniversary. Um, so uh, oh. if you check us out on Instagram, it's Collies Without Borders. I have saved the highlight reel that I made of like uh, a uh, like a highlight of our uh, our four years together um, through like nine countries and everything. So that's been my big project of the day. And I, like, if you don't follow us yet and haven't seen it. Um, go ahead and do that. It's very nice. Um, I've gotten some very nice comments from people who say they want to be my dog in their next life, which is the highly, highest praise that anyone oh. could ever give me. <laughs> I'm literally pulling it up right now so I can watch it the moment that we get off this call. <laughs> Excellent. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Kayla, do you want to, you want to plug your stuff? Sure. Um, yeah, make sure that you guys uh, check out journeydogtraining.com um, for all of our different courses and ebooks and um, one-on-one training services. Um, as I mentioned, we are on Instagram at Collies Without Borders, and I've also launched Canine Conservationists, which is on Instagram, TikTok, and the interwebs, um, which is where you can follow the conservation dog work that Barley Niffler and I are embarking on as a. Uh, little trio so that's the letter k number nine conservationists.org um and uh yeah those are i mean you guys can find me like literally all over the internet it just kind of depends on what flavor of kayla barley and niffler you want on a given day (laughs) it's not hard it's not hard to find you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I am a little harder to find. I'm not quite as prolific. Soon you'll be able to work with me through Behavior Vets of Colorado. Um, right now you can find me on Instagram at Ursa Major Training. I've sort of taken over the Canis Major Instagram. Um, and you can always contact me at ursa.acre. It's A-C-R-E-E at gmail.com. Um, and I'm going to be training dogs until I die. It's my only marketable skill. So I will always be available in some form or another. 
So thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> uh, don't forget you can subscribe to our Patreon for as little as three dollars a month. Patreon.com slash canine combos and um bring us a challenge. Find us a hot take that Kayla and I will disagree on. We're waiting. Uh, thanks for listening. Down.